everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Reverend X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka my guy holding it down in Memphis. How are things going for you? Busy, just working and working, but this upcoming week is going to be cool as far as work. I might be going to D.C. soon, so got a lot on my plate, but, you know, all we can do is eat. And we got a cool show for you guys today. We are going to talk uh, Pro Football Focus's top 10 NFL player list and say who we agree and disagree with. We're going to look at the current state of the NBA Finals. Game 5 is tonight and we're going to talk who we think is going to edge it out. And we're going to close out the show with my Money in the Bank 2021 predictions. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the xreport.net our xreport.net for exclusive sports content uh, written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So, starting this bad boy off, I talked about it last week and the week before, but finally it is finished. My article talking about each uh, the best off-season additions by each team. So, to kind of promote that a little bit, like I said, you can always check out the xreport.net. We're going to talk about that a bit. So, what we're going to do now is rank our top five Best off-season additions that have taken place this year. So, Ethan, how do you want to do it? Do you want me to go and do my list? Do you want to go back and forth? How do you want to do it? I'll let you go first. All right, bet. So, this was a tough one because there have been a lot of additions, I mean, just across the board. But I'm going to start off with number five, and that is the Vikings signing cornerback Patrick Peterson. If you want to talk about leadership, if you want to talk about the intangibles, just pure talent, it really does not get much better than Patrick Peterson. And for a defense like the Minnesota Vikings, who lost so much uh, last offseason and went into this past season with so much youth in their secondary, and it showed. It was one of their worst defensive years under Mike Zimmer, and it was clear he wanted to do anything he can to get it fixed. So bringing in uh, Patrick Peterson, who has been in the league for going on his 10th year, has seen literally everything defenses have, I mean, offenses have to offer and still has been playing at a high level despite being over 30. I think that this is going to be a major boost for the team. Uh, number four was the Browns signing safety John Johnson. Um, let's be honest, if you watched the Browns defense last year, particularly their secondary, they had a lot of issues. Probably the worst performer was safety Andrew Sandejo, who got clowned by almost every tight end that they played. Um, John Johnson is, in my opinion, one of the most underrated safeties in the league, was pretty much the quarterback of the Rams defense that, of course, got more attention with Aaron Donald and J Jalen Ramsey. So him going to the Browns, I think that he gets the attention that he deserves in terms of being a great player, and I think he elevates that group. Number three, the Raiders signed defensive end Yannick Ngakwe. Um, mainly, I like this deal, one, because they have seriously lacked a true pass rusher since trading away Khalil Mack a few years ago. Max Crosby had that one good year where he had 10 sacks, but other than that, has been kind of quiet. I think that bringing in Yannick Ngakwe, who gets his job done, I want to say throughout his career, he averages at least, he's averaging, I think, nine sacks a season, which is much higher than what the Raiders have had and plus, they got him for a pretty cheap deal. I think that this was one of the best overlooked signings, and I think they could really help out their defensive front. Two, um, Titans traded for Julio Jones. I mean, 
the Titans offense was already a powerhouse, but I mean, supplementing Julio Jones for Corey Davis is one of the best upgrades you can really do at any position. And I mean, I just think that it makes their offense more lethal. Uh, of course, their defense, you still have some questions about that. But with regards to their offense, they're going to be even more potent. And I mean, we've seen it before. We saw it with the Chiefs recently. We've seen it with the Browns that if you can... Your defense, you may be able to score on their defense, but can you stop their offense from scoring? And I think that that's what's going to come down to for a lot of teams uh, who are going to face the Titans this year. And number one, it was hard to narrow it down, but I'm going to say the Rams trading for Matthew Stafford. I know that Matthew Stafford is a bit older, but I think that in terms of what the Rams were last year, they could have made it a lot further than they did had it not been for Jared Goff. Jared Goff has been a bit of a liability these last couple of years, whereas Matthew Stafford was the shining star in Detroit. And had he been on a different team, who's to say where his career would end up? And I think that it is going to be a perfect marriage. So those are my top five best offseason additions throughout the whole NFL landscape. What about you? Honestly, I forgot all about Jaron Reed going to the Chiefs. Like, totally forgot. That is a really good move, too. Um, 
I'm not gonna say everyone I had, but I had one of their offensive linemen they signed as the best one. But Jaron Reed is definitely up there as well. But yeah, if you don't did not hear your team mentioned and you feel some type of way, don't feel bad. Just head over to the X report. I talked about every team's best edition. In my opinion, you can let me know if I'm wrong, if you agree. All that good stuff. So please be sure to check it out. Um, of course, we got more content coming away, especially because football season is coming soon. And that means fantasy football season is on the way as well. So be on the lookout for that. But while this one is pretty lighthearted, what we just talked about, this one is a bit more serious, talking about the Richard Sherman saga. I mean, I'm sure most of our listeners already are kind of up to date. Um, early Wednesday morning, he had been arrested um, by the police for burglary, burglary um, and domestic violence. Uh, the video of him outside his parents, I mean, not his parents, his in-laws house was posted, which I think is kind of messed up that it got out in the public anyway. Um, his wife's 911 call was released. Like, so much information was released. And it, it's really just been a lot. And uh, Richard Sherman finally spoke out yesterday. Um, he took to social media to release a statement saying, I am deeply remorseful for my actions on Tuesday night. I behaved in a manner I am not proud of. I have been dealing with some personal challenges over the last several months, but that is not an excuse for how I acted. The importance of mental and emotional health is extremely real, and I vow to get the help I need. I appreciate all the people who have reached out in support of me and my family, including our community here in Seattle. I am grateful to have such an amazing wife, family, and support system to lean on during this time. So, Ethan, I know it's been so much news that's really been thrown at the world, I guess, with regards to Richard Sherman. So what are your thoughts on everything that's going on? Do you think that he, because of this, he may have taken his last NFL snap? I think so, simply because he was already in a stage in his career where he wasn't the elite corner that he used to be in the past. He showed in San Francisco that he lost the step and he was never really the greatest athlete. And he also in the past where I wouldn't necessarily say he was a bad locker room guy, but he was a guy that could create some type of some small amounts of dysfunction in the locker room with his with his takes on things. And I'm all for athletes sharing how they feel. But when it comes down to these NFL organizations, we men you both know they just want you to shut up and play football. And so with this, I think that it, he might take his last he might have taken his last now. And the reality of it is, like, mental health is real. Like, we've seen athletes in the NBA talk about it. We've seen Kevin Love talk about it. We've seen DeMar DeRozan talk about it. We've seen all of these guys that, like, chronicle their mental health journey. Like, even myself, like, I'm not going to go into deep detail about it, but, like, a lot of people, even our listeners know my mom passed at the beginning of this year. And when, as a result of it, I went through a brief stint of depression to where it was like, I didn't want to talk to my wife, who was my girl, my fiance at the time. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I literally locked myself in the house on, and I didn't come out. And so, like, to hear him say these things, like, I completely understand to a degree of, like, the effects that mental health take on a person. And I just hope that he gets the help that he needs. Like, I don't even care about the football part. I just want him to be all right as a human being. Yeah, 100%. I mean, kind of talking about, like, I think that what I've been appreciating with as time has gone on, or at least as I've gotten older, is mental health is becoming less stigmatized. 
And I think that because when you're younger, predominantly in black families, mental health isn't something that's really talked about, especially if it's a Christian home or religious home. It's like, oh, just pray about it and everything will be okay. Or it'll be one of those instances where it's like, um, what do you have to be sad about? What do you you got going on? And so I think that it's been a beautiful thing seeing the evolution of mental health and how people are being getting to take it more seriously because it is a serious thing. And I mean, you know, I... I've talked to you about some of my own mental health, you know, issues and things like that. I mean, life is hard. And I think that what people don't understand is on the outside looking in, people be making, maybe making jokes about it because they think it's funny, but it's not funny. Like people are going through stuff. And that's why I was saying like, I hate that so much of this, these videos and everything is coming out about Richard Sherman, because this is really a private matter. Truthfully, it's none of our business. What happened with him and his family? If we just heard he got arrested that's really all we need to know. We don't need to know like the 911 call that you and I talked about, even though I do feel like the dispatcher was a joke. But I mean like, and then the video, like that that's none of our business because we don't know what this man is going through. We don't know the backstory. And truthfully, we'll probably never know what exactly happened. And it's not for us to know. And like you said, I really just want Richard Sherman and any player that's going through mental health battles and these different things. Like I just want them to get healthy because while we may love sports and we may love watching them and playing them, et cetera, like these are still real people. They're not just robots that as soon as the game is off, like that's it. They just have no other value to society. They are fathers, they're sons, they're parents. Like they have so much other importance to this world aside from just being a football player. And I think that us as fans and people in the media, we have to acknowledge that and not just look at them for entertainment or judge them for their mistakes, especially because we don't know what they're going through on the outside. So, yeah, like you said, I really just hope that he gets better. If he does come back to the league, cool. If not, I mean, he had a hell of a career. Um, I mean, hell, Legion of Boom really was – he was the time the best corner in the league. So, I mean, if he – you said what? I think he's a Hall of Famer. I don't think he's first ballot, but I think he could have a great chance of getting a Hall of Fame. Absolutely. I 150%. I mean, just imagine trying to turn down Richard Sherman. I mean, in the league right now, I don't think that there are any more surefire cornerbacks to go to the Hall of Fame than Richard Sherman and Patrick Peterson. Like, yeah. especially with what they did beginning of the 2010s, like, it's just it's, it's nobody else, really. And everybody else, you you have to take some time to get that resume built up. But Richard Sherman's had a hell of a career. And if that, if this was his last year, then I mean, and if he needs to take that time to focus on his family and his mental health, then God bless him. I say get all the help that you can. But speaking of corners who have Hall of Fame potential, let's talk a star cornerback, Jalen Ramsey, who says that he could potentially be making a move to safety. Uh, he said that he wants to be like a player like Charles Woodson, who we all know was an all-pro cornerback who made the move to safety later on in his career and had success with that. So realistically, how much longer do you think that Jalen Ramsey has as a top corner before he makes that move to safety? I think, how old is Jalen Ramsey? He's, he's fairly young. If I'm looking it up now, but I don't think he's anything older than like 26. And he is 26. He'll be 27 in uh, October. So, yeah, I think he's doing the better, the better half of 30. I mean, and it's like, typically, I think when Charles Wilson made that move, he was around 28, 29, 30 years old. So, I think he does have a couple more years left. 
Yeah, and I think that especially if he continues on with the Rams, I'm sure that they want him to play a corner for as long as they can, but right now they don't necessarily have the depth for that move to happen. But, yeah, I mean, we've seen it a way that cornerbacks have a much shorter shelf life than safeties. We've seen much older older safeties out there taking the field and playing as opposed to corners because corners have much more physically taxing job, whereas safeties they get to be able to survey the field and come in as needed. So, yeah, I mean, I think Jalen Ramsey has the athleticism to be a quality player at both corner and safety, but I don't think it's going to happen for a while, probably not till after he's – over under maybe like 32, 33. And that just also just depends on the depth around him. I mean, we kind of talked about a while ago before everything went down, Richard Sherman, he'd be a candidate for a great corner who could change, make the move over to safety and really be able to do some damage. So I'm excited to see how it all shake out for Jalen Ramsey minus week 17 when he plays Baltimore. But no, he's, I think that a move to safety will be imminent, but I don't think it's going to be bad. But talking about things that were imminent, we all knew that the franchise tag deadline was coming up, which meant that the players who initially got slapped the franchise tag back in um, this spring, they would have to sign a contract or they would have to play this upcoming season on the franchise tag. Well, only one player from that list ended up getting signed, and that was offensive tackle from the Panthers, Taylor Moulton, who agreed to a four-year, $72 million deal with $43 million guaranteed. Congratulations to him, but there are six other players who did not get that deal, and that is Brandon Sheriff, guard for the Washington football team, Marcus May, safety for the Jets, Chris Godwin, Tampa Bay Buccaneers wideout, Marcus Williams, safety for the Giants, I'm mean, sorry, not the Giants, the Saints, Bears wide receiver Allen Robinson and Cam Robinson, offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, Ethan, in your opinion, of the players listed, which one do you most likely think will not re-sign and will leave next year in free agency? Also forgot to mention Justin Simmons of the Broncos. Safety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
in terms of the players who I think would probably leave, um, I'm going to start off. Allen Robinson is a thought, but I, I could see that. Um, I think that if the quarterback situation really plays out well, like you mentioned with Justin Fields, I think he could work. So I'm actually going to say Marcus Williams, the safety out of New Orleans. Biggest reason being the New Orleans has a lot of other players that they need to pay in this upcoming year. That's why they really weren't that big of movers in free agency because they were strapped to the cap. They did not have that much money, hence why they got rid of Emmanuel Sanders, who was actually their leading receiver last year. And that makes it hard to maneuver. And I think that for Marcus Williams, he may want to move to a different team where he'll be able to get more attention, where he'll be able to really be seen as a focus point. Because, I mean, right now, um, at safety, the Saints have a lot of bodies. It's him, it's Malcolm Jenkins, as well as Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. So they have a lot of bodies at the position. And, I mean, if they get more cap going into next year, then maybe he would stay, especially if Malcolm Jenkins does retire. But so far, out of these few, I could see him being on the way out. And in terms of the player who I think will end up getting signed, I'm probably going to say Chris Godwin just because as of right now, if you're a wide receiver, you're coming off a team that brought back pretty much all their starters from a Super Bowl winning team. You get the chance to play with Tom Brady. You also are playing with Mike Evans, who is great as well. You still get big targets. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think that probably the biggest thing is he just wants to get paid handsomely, which he does deserve because he's a good player. But I think that if he looks at everything and depending on the other situations he could be in, I would probably say that I would want to stick with Tampa, and I think that's going to be something that's going to uh, run across his mind as well. But speaking of Mr. Brady, it's interesting to hear current Patriot players talk about him. First of all, being a defensive lineman, Brian Coward, who was asked about the Week 4 matchup against the Bucks, and he said, we ain't welcoming him back. We just have to play him. There ain't going to be no damn ceremony. So... Should the Patriots honor Tom Brady when he comes to Foxborough for the first time since leaving in week four? Of course. This man, I hate to say it, but this, this man and Bill Belichick are the two faces that brought. When you think of the Patriots dynasty and all the success that come with the Patriots, you think Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. And for you, for somebody to be like, no, we're not going to celebrate him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not like somebody like Mitch Trubisky is coming back to play again. Like, it's Tom freaking Brady. He gave you about 20 years, five, no, six Super Bowls, hell of a career, made you the, helped make you the dynasty that you were. And you don't think you're going to do anything for him? If anything, if they didn't mention him coming back or do at least something, it would be disrespectful. And I feel like if they didn't, I feel like Tom Brady would go out of his way to obliterate them if they didn't. Like, I understand Bill Belichick really isn't, you know, the most sentimental guy in the world, but I feel like at least Robert Kraft would do something, have something set up. At least get him a video. And then if you want to wait till he retires to retire the jersey and, you know, give him all that stuff, that makes sense. But, I mean, Tom, if Tom Brady is coming back to New England, I have a hard time believing they're just going to act like it's any other game because it's not just any other game. But, all right, let's talk about a team that, 
if they would kill to have a Tom Brady right now, the Philadelphia Eagles, who seem to be having some problems already with new head coach Nick Srani. He was hired in replacement of Frank Wright, and NFL analyst Michael Thomas said that some Eagles players are questioning the new head coach. He said, I'm not going to say any names, but I know some guys in the locker room who they question this guy, and they question he can truly lead this team. And me personally, my personal thoughts on it is maybe Howie Roseman wanted to put somebody, a yes man, in the head coaching position because Doug Peterson didn't want to do all the things his way. So he wanted to get a yes man in there. At least that's what it looks like to me. So realistically, do you think that Nick Schrani lasts with the Philadelphia Eagles or is he really just a yes man? my initial thoughts when I first heard about this hiring I was like oh okay so they're really gonna try to keep um Patrick I'm not Patrick uh Carson Wentz because he came from the coach coaching staff he was just under Frank Wright so maybe they were hoping he would instill an offense similar to what Frank Wright had when he was in Philly and they went to the Super Bowl but then they traded Carson Wentz and then the hiring seemed a bit more confusing especially because you have other cats like Eric Bellini the offensive coordinator for the um, Chiefs who was available at that time. It was still a lot of cats available for that job. And so Nick Strani seemed like an interesting uh, hire. But like you said, we're not in that locker room, so it's hard to really gauge how this will go. But I definitely, off the top of my head, I was shocked by the hiring to begin with. And I think that a lot of pressure is on Philly this year. I Personally, I don't think that any player is more, under more pressure than Jalen Hurts. I feel like if Jalen Hurts does not perform – Philly's going to be a top five pick, and they're going to pick a quarterback. And especially because they really weren't sold on Jalen Hurts anyway after this past season. And so I feel like he and Sirianni will end up being the scapegoats if they don't succeed. But I think it is a bit early to, you know, kind of get on Nick Sirianni just because he just got there. They haven't even reached the preseason yet. We don't really know the development of that team or how it's going to shake out. And if anything has taught us anything over the last few years, it's that the NFC East is always up for grabs. So who's to say right now we're thinking the Eagles aren't going to be that good and they could win the division. Who knows at this point? It's all pretty much up in the air. But what we do know is who Pro Football Focus has deemed the top 10 NFL players in the league. Ethan, I'm going to send it to you too so you can have it in your face. But all right, I'm going to start off at 10. At 10, they have TJ Watt, 9, Aaron Rodgers, 8, Bobby Wagner, 7, Tom Brady, 6, Khalil Mack, um, 5, Devontae Adams, 4, Quentin Nelson, Three, Travis Kels, because apparently we've been saying it wrong for over 10 years now. Two, Patrick Mahomes. And number one, Aaron Donald. All right, any, do you want to start off with the ones you agree with or which ones you disagree with? I'll start with the ones I agree with. Okay. I agree with Aaron Donald at number one, Patrick Mahomes at number two. 
Yeah, I don't think I would have him that high either. So, starting off with um, the agreements, yeah, Aaron Donald, yes, Khalil Mack, I mean not Khalil Mack, Patrick Mahomes, yes, I would, I would have, I'm not saying I would switch their positions entirely, but I would have T.J. Watt over Khalil Mack. Like, if we're talking comparing careers, then yes, Khalil Mack is better, but in terms of the past few years, I would have to go T.J. Watt. Mm, yeah, I would lower Travis. Quentin Nelson could stay. He'd be top six. I don't know if I'd put him at four. Yeah. That's, that's, like, that's high. I with anybody's name. I just would, like, reorder the position. And maybe, the only reason I, it's hard, because I do agree with everybody's name. I don't agree with the position. But it's like, I do think that there's other players that could potentially deserve to be on this list also. Yeah, like, it's hard with the NFL because there's so many different positions, and then it begs the question of, well, how do you value this position as opposed to another position? So that's what makes it hard. With the NBA, it's kind of, like, straightforward. Um, but, yeah, it's like – and plus, like, I couldn't I couldn't put Devontae Adams over Aaron Rodgers. That's just my opinion. I couldn't do it. Bobby – Bobby Wagner, I mean, he, in my opinion, he's still, in terms of the past few years, he's still the best middle linebacker. I wouldn't say at this present moment he is, but. And you would probably be the only person that I would take off for anybody. Yeah. And honestly, I don't want to sound biased, but I would probably put Derrick Henry. Like, I was thinking Derrick Henry deserved to be on this list, too. Right. Yeah, it's like it's one of those things where like you're bound to disagree with at least a little bit of it. And I mean, another player who I think should get some pop, like there's no players from no defensive backs, which is weird. Like I'm surprised I don't have a Jalen Ramsey in there. Like it's I would probably switch Jalen and Bobby. Like, that would be a switch I would make. Or Derrick Henry. I think the biggest thing against Derrick Henry is just the devaluation of running backs right now. But it's 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 tough. It's tough. Bart, let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery. And we just mentioned Devontae Adams, and he's back again. So, um, Devontae Adams was voted the NFL's number one receiver in a poll of NFL coaches, players, executives, and scouts. And apparently, it, this one was not close. He was number one on more than half of 50 submissions. So, believable or buffoonery, Devontae Adams is the undisputed best wide receiver in the league. Because I'm calling buffoonery. Yeah, 
DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins, you still have, um, like, Mike Evans. Like, it's a lot of guys. Like, I know Mike Evans isn't really considered, like, a number one best in the league wide receiver. But you had, it's been a revolving argument of Devonta Adams, Julio, and, um... D-Hop. In my opinion, because I would say D Hop is still number one. Yeah, and I think that with regards to D-Hop, I mean, he was put on such a pedestal um, after last, not this past year, but the season before when he just balled the hell out in Houston, and then he got traded too, so that made it even more like D-Hop is like that dude. So with regards to that, I think that the expectations were just ridiculously high. But, I mean, D-Hop is still that man. D-Hop is still – if you ask me, I would say he's the best receiver in the league. Not discrediting Devontae Adams because he had a tremendous year. But what Devontae Adams did last year, D-Hop has done consistently with way worse quarterbacks. So, with that being said, I think that – I'll say this. If Aaron Rodgers really does not play this year, that will really test the mantle of how good Devontae Adams is. Because if he can ball out with Jordan Love or Blake Bortles, then I'll be like, okay, yeah, like he's really showing his stuff. Because this will be old hat to D-Hop, who had to play with the Matt Schaubs and the – um. Oh, my gosh. Yes, Tom Savage is like just terrible, terrible quarterbacks and make it work. So we'll see. But, yeah, we're in agreement. I don't think it's undisputed. But continuing on with wide receivers, uh, Isaac Bruce says that he and Torrey Holt are the best wide receiver duo of all time. It may seem like a whole bunch, a whole lot of arrogance to some people, but the numbers don't lie. We won a Super Bowl. So believable or buffoonery? Isaac Bruce and Terry Holt are the greatest wide receiver duo of all Z times. I, I got home from stock in a believable category. Yeah. Because it's like, when I think about wide receiver duos, it's not that many great ones that I can just think of. Like, I think of Chad Johnson and TJ Uzmanzada. I think of Antoine um, Boulder and Larry Fitzgerald. I think of. For me, when I read this, first one that came to mind was Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison. Yeah, I would too. I mean, just because when it was the greatest show on turf, I mean, while they were great, um, there were great. That was a great offense collectively, but I mean, it was like Terry Holt and Isaac Bruce were kind of on the same playing field. It wasn't like one was remarkably better and one was clearly the number two. Like, no, like they both just worked really, really well with one another and were able to ball out like that. And so because of that, I mean, it makes it it makes it harder to really, in terms of duo, it's like, okay, this it tracks. So I would also say it's on the believable side as well. Personally, I'd probably argue Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne, but because they didn't spend, play for as many seasons as these two did, that probably is the thing that hurts them the most. But 
I uh, Marvin and Marvin and Reggie were wild, and you can say it was because they had Peyton, but I mean Marvin Harrison was a bad man even before Peyton got drafted, so that would probably be my argument. But let's talk the AFC North. We're going to talk a little bit quarterback news. With regards to Big Ben, who apparently in this upcoming season is more focused on his diet than ever. In fact, some sources are saying that he is focused on his diet and has his stricter than that of Tom Brady. And And Big Ben himself said that he was in the best shape of his life. Still, that has not kept doubters off of him. In fact, multiple people have given their thoughts on why this will be a year of regression for Big Ben. Uh, Mike Tannenbaum said this, Ben Roethlisberger is going to be bad, and I expect him to be benched by the middle of the season. He's had a great career, but it's over. Um, Adam Sheen of CBS Sports said, Roethlisberger will be the worst quarterback in the division this year. The Steelers will finish in last place. So, believable or buffoonery, Big Ben will be the worst quarterback in the AFC North this season. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, we no really need to really go into Lamar because we know who Lamar is. But, I mean, Joe Burrow coming off the ACL, everything looks to be good. The wep- the weapons on his offense are better. I mean, their offensive line is still – has gotten better. So, we know what that is. Baker Mayfield, like you said, really is the wild card because, I mean, sometimes he'll look like the cat who can take over a game, like that five-touchdown performance against the Bengals – and then other times he'll look bad, like he did the first time they played the Steelers. So it's really hard to gauge what Baker you're going to get. But, yeah, I really think it's really just between Baker and Big Ben. If you had to ask me right now between the two who I would take, I would still say Big Ben, purely from a player standpoint because him as a human being is garbage. Because even though the last game I saw from Big Ben was terrible – that Browns playoff game was terrible, but comparing both of their seasons overall, he had a better season. So I would still take – right now I'd take him over Baker, but that could easily change because, let's be honest, they're not going to have that good of an offensive line this year. And talking about the Steelers, they lost most of their veteran starters due to retirement or releasing them. So they really don't have any. They really haven't done much to replace them. So I think that may be what makes Big Ben the worst, just not because he doesn't have a good line and plus his receivers drop the ball a lot, as opposed to much that he could really do. 
But let's talk about the Minnesota Vikings, a team that, honestly, we don't really talk about much. Um, Anthony Barr, linebacker, had some strong things to say about the Vikings' upcoming season and said, I really do believe that we have a Super Bowl-winning team this year. Obviously, there's a lot of steps to get to that point, and I've been through good and bad seasons with this team. But every time we've had a tough year, we've always bounced back. I really feel like this year is going to be special. So... Believable or buffoonery, the Minnesota Vikings should be considered Super Bowl contenders. Yeah, I think that in kind of talking about luck as well, I mean, I think the first stroke of luck would be if Aaron Rodgers really doesn't play. Because if he doesn't play, I think he's the difference between what makes the Packers a 13-win team and a 6-win team. And if you take away Aaron Rodgers, I mean, personally, I feel like overall, the Vikings have the best roster in the NFC North, but having Aaron Rodgers kind of trumps that because he's still going to dominate with whatever he has. And so if Aaron Rodgers really does not play this year or he does get traded, I think that that's going to open up a lot of doors to the Vikings. I think that really staying healthy is the biggest thing because last year um, Anthony Barr got hurt, Eric Kendricks got hurt, their secondary was young, Daniel Hunter really didn't play because he was hurt. So they had so many injuries on the defensive side of the ball, which hurt them. And so now that they're getting healthy, I could – part of me says yes, but then we just have that wild card that is – Kirk Cousins. We don't know if Kirk Cousins is really that guy. Everybody else on that offense with regards to Thielen, Cook, Jefferson, I could see them. They are Super Bowl talented players, but it's just Kirk Cousins who's the biggest question mark. So right now, I'm going to say buffoonery, but I do see them being a playoff team this year. But all right, let's talk playoff teams. Well, want to be playoff teams. Let's talk quarterbacks. And my main man, Peyton Manning, my all-time favorite quarterback, the all-knowing Peyton, who was asked about the rumors of Aaron Rodgers coming to Denver. And he said this, my gut is he's not coming to Denver. My gut is Denver's going to have Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater be be their quarterback. At this point, you got to kind of know what your plan is. You can't have... You can't have a new quarterback three weeks before the season. So, believable or buffoonery, there is no chance that Aaron Rodgers comes to the Broncos.
Yeah, I just think at this point, I don't really... I still don't see the Packers budging. I feel like if the Packers were really going to budge about trading him, they would have done it a while ago. So I don't think it's going to happen this year. Do I think Aaron Rodgers suits up for the Packers? I'm not sure, but as far as the Broncos or any other team, I, as of right now, I don't see it. Maybe a trade could happen during the season, but for right now, I don't I don't see it happening. But let, continuing on with the AFC West... Um, Patrick Mahomes uh, made, made some people feel some type of way um, when he was asked by a fan, uh, well, he was told by a fan to look out for Justin Herbert next year, to which he replied, I'll see it, I'll believe it when I see it. And then, of course, after getting backlash to that, he said that he didn't mean it like that. He has nothing but respect for the youngster. He said, I think it got taken out of context. I have a ton of respect for him as a player. So, of course, as pundits talked about it, um, Mike Tannenbaum said, I don't think there's a big gap between the Chiefs and the Chargers. So, believable or buffoonery, is the gap between the Chiefs and Chargers much smaller than we actually think it is? I'm calling buffoonery on this one. No, I yeah, I'm calling buffoonery as well. Just because it's like Justin Herbert had an amazing rookie year. Don't get me wrong, and they have made nice additions to the offensive line, like getting Corey Lindsley, drafting uh, Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern. But I mean, their defense is still a question. I mean, they still have issues on that side of the ball. You got to make sure that you got to get better wide receiver depth, in my opinion. Also, get another body behind Austin Eckler because, like you said, I mean, when he was out, that offense really suffered, or at least our run game did. So, and I understand you want to jump on the hype train of Justin Herbert, but it's like not everybody can be the Chiefs. It is not. Like, the Chiefs is, is just a great wonderfully constructed offense who have the defense that just just enough and if you ask me in terms of anybody in the Chargers secondary I don't see anyone on par with Tyron Matthew I know Derwin James is great but the thing is he's been out these last two years with torn ACLs and that's a lot of faith to put in a guy who you haven't seen play in two years 
And so because of that, I think that that is what hurts them. I really like um, them getting Asante Samuel Jr., but he's going to be a rookie. And who's this, And there's no telling if he's going to be on the outside or play the slot. It's just too many questions with the Chargers right now for them to really, in my eyes, be seen on the same level as the Chiefs. But all right, one more piece before we move on to the NBA. Uh, ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter told John Kincaid of 97.5, the fanatic, that the Eagles were the best team equipped to trade for Deshaun Watson. There is a common growing belief that he will not suit up for the Texans again and that he is on his way to settling the cases of this offseason. So Schefter said, the Eagles are more equipped to make a run at Deshaun Watson than any other team out there. And if you put Deshaun Watson on the Philadelphia Eagles, they become a Super Bowl contender right away. I'm operating under the assumption this will be settled, and when he is deemed able to play, the Philadelphia Eagles will be waiting. So, believable or buffoonery, if Deshaun Watson signs with the Eagles, they should immediately be seen as Super Bowl contenders. I'm calling buffoonery again. I think that while Deshaun Watson is a top five quarterback in the league, I think that he is a tremendous talent. Like you said, I mean, he's not going to a drastically better situation if he were to end up in Philly. Because right now they're putting up all their receiver hopes into Devontae Smith, who is a rookie. We don't know how he's going to be yet. Their defense still has many flaws, so that's problematic. And while the division is, like we all know, up in the air, I mean, there's a chance they can be a playoff team, but I'm not just going to discount other teams in the NFC, like the Bucks, like the, um, like the Packers. I mean, hell, even the Rams right now. Or if the Vikings really get their stuff together, the Vikings, I still don't see them being the better teams in the NFC East with Deshaun Watson, nonetheless being a Super Bowl contender. So, yeah, I'm calling buffoonery. But, all right, let's talk some NBA news. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from this past week of action? <laughs> you pull up to a game, you pull up to a playoff, a final game in Black Boys, it should be no, a no fact that you're about to go crazy. Um, I, 100%. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you on that one just because 
Giannis has been balling, and it, it's it's funny to me how people act surprised when he's been balling out, like he hasn't been doing this. I think that the hype around Chris Middleton is really just y'all. Everybody's just drinking the Kool Aid. But no, nah, Giannis has been that guy. I mean, he didn't win MVP back to back years for no reason. But all right, let's talk our Mamba players of the week. I'm sticking with what I had last week. Out of the East, I'm coming for Giannis. Yes, I know Chris Middleton dropped 14. Was it 14 or 16? In the fourth quarter of their last game. That's great. Have 40 points. But still, what he's been doing that gets people excited, like I just said, Giannis has been doing it. A double-double machine. Really been dominating. Had that monster block on DeAndre Aiden that really push the momentum towards Milwaukee's way. So, yeah, I'm going Giannis with my MVP. I mean, my Mamba out of the East. I got to go with Giannis, too, for the simple fact that I know what Chris Middleton did was great, but it's a, it's a podcast that I, I've always been listening to, and they talk, they talk about Chris Middleton, where it's this thing on, like, literally, this week, 24 hours. Yeah. 24 hours, Chris Middleton will be the best player in the, in the history of basketball. Totally agree. So, yeah, I'm going with Giannis. And then out of the West, I'm going D-Book again. Congratulations to him. He uh, broke the record for the most points scored ever in a player's first playoff uh, first playoff appearance. Currently at 532 and counting. So, congratulations to D-Book. But also, I mean, he was balling. Was he fouling that didn't get – and they didn't get called by refs? Yes, absolutely. But, I mean, he had a great game, dropped 42 pretty much just does what D-Book does. I mean, a major improvement from game three when he only had 10 points. Of course, it wasn't enough to win, but, I mean, he really was carrying the slap because Chris Ball had an off night. Chris Ball did not play well, but D-Book did, and he's the biggest reason why they were still in that game. So, yeah, I'm going D-Book for my Western Mamba. Concentrated effort to like 
most deaf. I mean, these are the uh, defensive adjustments that you and I were talking about before the series that the Bucks had to make if they want to have a chance, and we're starting to see the fruits of that labor. So, yeah, I would agree, though. It is anybody's series. So, tonight's game is going to be huge and pivotal. All right, so let's talk Kawhi Leonard, a player who many believe that had he played, it would be a different look in finals. Uh, he, this past week, he underwent successful surgery to, to repair his partial right ACL tear, and he's expected to be out for nine months. This is also, one could say, pretty bad timing for Mr. Leonard, especially because he is due to be a free agent. So in your opinion, do you think that he should – Sign, resign with the Clippers to kind of give himself time to heal, or should he still be looking elsewhere and moving free agency? Yeah, because they really wanted him to play. And I feel like if they really – I feel it doesn't take this long to diagnose an ACL tear. And I feel like they probably would have been trying to not force him to play, but really trying to, like, goad him into playing um, had they made it to the finals. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I would leave too, especially because we already know Kawhi wants to win a ring. And while this year the Clippers did overachieve a bit with Kawhi was out, I don't really think that – Right now, I don't still see them as, like, a contender. I don't seriously think that they're going to be contending for a finals anytime soon. And so because of that, if I was him, I would leave. Don't ask me where at this present moment because I'm not sure. But if I was him, I would be trying to make my way out. But uh, speaking of way out, the um, NBA 2K released their covers for 2K22 and the 75th anniversary of the NBA. And per usual, they've liked doing these double, these multiple covers, so there are three of them. The first of which is the Legends cover, which has Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Dirk Nowitzki, and Kevin Durant. The next, um, the regular 2K athlete is Luka Doncic, and the GameStop exclusive exclusive athlete, and for the first time ever, a WNBA player, Candace Parker, dons the cover. Am I a bit salty that she's doing it in the Chicago Sky jersey? Yes, I am, but I'm still going to get that cover anyway. But Ethan, of the three, which one is your favorite?
Yeah, most def. I mean, I'm. I know I'm gonna get it. It's gonna be no time soon because I made that mistake last year again, 21. Because I definitely should have waited. Because I hate that game. Um, I still haven't finished my first season on uh my career, but that's not the point. Yeah, I'm also going to take Candace too, just for everything that you said. I mean, it's about time for a change. Like we're so used to seeing like KD was just on the cover. It's dope they got Kareem and Dirk. That's cool. Luca got his first cover. That's cool. But I think that it's nice to just see different things, especially because since they've included the WNBA in the game, I think that it's a nice acknowledgement of men aren't the only hoopers. Men aren't the only ones who play basketball. And more importantly, men aren't the only ones buying video games. There are plenty of women who play sports games as well, myself included. I play the hell out of them. And so I think that it is a really nice um, way to commemorate her as well as the WNBA and the 25th anniversary of the league by putting her on the cover. So, yeah, it's my favorite one, too. But this is not my favorite thing, um, and it's not many people's favorite things. So one of the biggest players in the topic of conversation, sometimes even more so than the finals themselves, is Damian Lillard. He has his displeasure with the Trailblazers is apparent, and in most cases, rightfully so. He deserves the right to be frustrated. Even recently, he talked about how he had a hard time watching the finals just because he's jealous. He wants to play with them. He released multiple statements saying that he was not necessarily requesting the trade from the Trailblazers, but he feels like there is a lot more work to be done to make them a championship team. Well, there's a championship team that is in discussions to get him, and that is the Golden State Warriors, who are apparently in talks trying to trade for Damian Lillard. Would that be a good move? For both sides, if that trade took place, I think it would be simply because if you're able to trade for Damian Lillard and you keep Clay Thompson and Jamal, I don't, I don't think that's possible. I think Clay would have to go. Like, you got to give me Clay. I was like, I'll take a lottery pick and Clay, and I'll take Kelly Uber. Because, I mean, it's not like I'm just giving you, like, C.J. McCollum. Like, I'm giving you Dane, who's the face of my organization for about a decade. You're going to have to come off a bit more. You're giving me Clay. That would be the only way I would even pick up the phone.
And then everybody's like, well, why didn't LeBron take the shot? LeBron should have took the shot, blah, blah, blah. Even though I'm one of those people. And more than likely make it. Cause you know Joel Embiid has those nagging injuries where he's gonna miss time, whereas Dame can handle it. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely look at either Philly or LA well before I look for the Warriors. But I just the Warriors are just used to having shooters on shooters, and I guess in terms of like an insurance policy, because I mean, like I said, if I'm the Trailblazers, if I'm picking up the phone, I gotta get Clay and then some. But um, I guess an insurance policy, because, I mean, Clay just is coming off back-to-back years of really bad injuries. You don't know if he's going to go back to being that player that he was beforehand. While everybody wants him to and everybody's a Clay fan, it's much easier said than done. So I can kind of understand their logic behind it. But I don't. in terms of a fit, I don't think it would be the best fit. But talking about players and their fits, Blake Griffin, who is going to be a free agent this year, apparently is uncertain whether or not he'll re-sign with the Nets per the Nets uh, 
personnel team. He might choose to sign with a team that will give him a bigger role and more money. So here's what Blake Griffin did this past year. Averaged um, 11 points, 4.9 boards, uh, 3 assists, and coming off of the bench. Not that much time on the court, but he did play fairly well in his time with Brooklyn. So should he look to reef up with Brooklyn, or should he sign elsewhere? And if you say elsewhere, where do you think he should go? Next. Simply because Blake is at this point in his career where he's not going to be a focal point. He's not going to be a second option. He's a great role guy that can play pick and roll basketball, can play pick and pop. Like he's not he's he's not the type of guy to look at where it's like okay, we're going to give you added pressure. Like he he can benefit greatly from being the type of guy where it's like okay. Um, yeah, I'll, the Nets would be an easy one. I mean, yes, would he get much more money from the Nets? No, nah, probably not. Another team, we just you just talked about, but I would say the Lakers as well because they need more depth, especially if they do trade Kyle Kuzma. I think that right now Blake Griffin it has a much more – I think his role would be a le- bit more – I mean, a bit less inconsistent than Kyle Kuzma's was in L.A. just because we know what Blake is. He's been the same guy for the past 10 years. It's not like his game's going to change much. He could come off the bench in relief of AD and kind of be that player like that. So I can see that working out. But, I mean, other than that, I mean, the Nets. If Right now, I kind of just feel like he's ring chasing. And, I mean, ring chase with Brooklyn. I mean, it's not, not that hard. And plus, that would create offensive opportunities for you because everybody else is honing in on the KDs or the Hardens, the Kyries, where that creates a whole bunch more opportunities for you in the post. So, I think Brooklyn would be the best move for him if he was, if he really is thinking about making a move. But all right, speaking of making moves, congratulations to the new three head coaches that were just hired this week. All of them black. First of all, the um, the Orlando Magic have hired Jamal Mosley as their new head coach. Next up, Willie Green, former NBA player. Coincidentally, did spend quite a bit of time in New Orleans back when they were the Hornets. Um, is the new head coach for the New Orleans Pelicans. Most recently, he's actually an assistant coach for the Suns for the past two years. And before that, was on the Warriors staff for three years. And then just announced today, uh, Wes Unseld Jr., of course, son of Washington legend, Wes Unseld, um, is the new head coach of the Washington Wizards after signing a four-year deal today. Um, so, of the three moves, Willie Green, Jamal Mosley, Wes Unseld, are you excited for any of them, or do you think it's not going to make much of a difference with regards to the organizations? I think, I think it's not going to make much of a difference. I think the Willie Green hire might be a good hire simply because he's a guy that I think that those young guys will listen to. He's a former Coach, and how for him having Zeke as their coach, he 
Yeah, and then I think it also helps that with the organization being so young, I think they do benefit from having a younger coach because I think they'll relate to him more as opposed to like a Stan Van Gundy who is going to be more serious and he's not going to be as relatable to them. I think that the same really can't be said for Willie Green and also kind of going to the tip of him being a foreign player. He played in New Orleans, so he can kind of like bond with the players like that. He can kind of give them the ins and out of New Orleans itself and just kind of vibe with them in that way. So with regards to that, I like that hire. Do I think any of these teams really got significantly better with the hires? I'll say no, mainly because for the war in the war, I'm mean, not with the the Wizards case. We don't really know what's going on with Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. If they are able to stay and they can bring in some more pieces, I think that has potential. But other than that, I don't really see much really shaking in terms of the rosters for either of these teams. But it's nice to see more black head coaches in any sport. So congratulations to them. But uh, speaking of a player who um, needs some congratulations, we got Collis Sexton who, after the reports that his teammates don't like playing with him, then to he may not be getting re-signed. And now it just seems that the Cavs are openly trying to trade him. Quite a few teams have seemed to express interest. One of those teams being the New York Knicks, who apparently are the most aggressive trade suitor for Colin Sexton. So, Colin Sexton in New York, would that be a good fit? balled out. It was the best game of his season. that having the aggressiveness of a Colin Sexton would really help out with well not help out but really wouldn't mess with Tom Thibodeau because he likes those guys he likes those guys who feel like they can take over I mean he was there for um 
Derrick Rose's best years. He was that guy. He was there in that locker room, and he really helped get them both out of Derrick Rose. Of course, Rose had his own natural ability too, but he loves coaching those guys, those hard-nosed cats, and I think that Colin Sexton can has potential to be one of those guys who become a favorite for him and also just provide more of an offensive boost. Um, particularly, just imagine what having a Colin Sexton would have been for them and his aggressiveness against the Hawks because we know what Trey Young is. Trey Young is going to go for it regardless. And the Knicks really didn't have anybody who could go toe-to-toe for him. So I feel like in situations like that, particularly with what they just went through, I think that that is something that is going to make him, um, Colin Sexton, I mean, much more appealing to a team like the Knicks. But all right, let's play a game of believable or buffoonery. Starting with LeBron James, he um, when he was asked about how he wants to spend the rest of his career, he said, I truly hope that I can finish my career with the Lakers. However many years that is, if it's four, five, six, whatever, seven, I hope I can continue to play the game. So believable or buffoonery, LeBron James retires as a Los Angeles Laker. Yeah, I mean, it's another one of those things where if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Really, what better team is there really to finish your career off with? The only other team I'd say maybe Cleveland, but they don't have a chance at anything. So what's the point? I mean, you're having success in L.A. You already have businesses in L.A. You talk about how your family loves L.A. I mean, for me, it seems pretty, pretty easy to just stay in L.A. So I find it believable, too. Continuing on with L.A., we have a South Central legend, Mr. Ice Cube, who in a recent interview talked about uh, Damian Lillard to Stephen A., where he said, if you want to win a championship, you should come join the Lakers. If you want to just score a lot of points and be the man, stay in Portland. So believable or buffoonery, if Damian Lillard did end up with the Lakers, he would be guaranteed a championship. If his feet were smaller. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, like you said, because you can't, nothing is guaranteed in anything. 
Because as soon as you join the team, who's to say, like, under some freak thing, LeBron, like, you know, I just want to retire. Or AD gets hurt. Like, it's it's so many more things that go into it. And we just saw, just because you, quote, unquote, have a big three does not mean you're guaranteed a championship. Because look at Brooklyn. They didn't win a championship this year. And by coincidence, by injuries, whatever, you're not guaranteed. Nothing. So, yeah, I don't think it's a guarantee. But, yeah, his chances definitely rise if he comes to L.A. All right, next up, you mentioned the NBA draft, which is coming up soon. Well, this is a draft question. So draft analyst uh, Chad Ford was discussing the second-best prospect of the draft class, and he mentioned Evan Mobley, but had inter- interesting things to say. He said, I think that Mobley, to me, is the second-best prospect in this draft. I think the gap between him and Kay Cunningham isn't so wide. So believable or buffoonery, the gap between Kay Cunningham and Evan Mobley as the top prospect in this draft is small. Yeah, I agree that Cade is the number one, especially just because the league is just becoming so guard heavy. Whereas there, back in the day, hell, 20, maybe 25 years ago, there were most of the best players were big men. And that's just talking 20 years ago. Don't even talk about pre-Michael Jordan when all the greats were pretty much big men with the occasional guards. And as the NBA has shifted, so has the dynamic of who the best players are. And so while... Um, Evan Mobley is a tremendous talent. He's his talents really only fit if you are looking for a player of that uh, talent. I mean, of those skill sets, like the Warriors. There, you can make argument they're more inclined to go after a player like an Evan Mobley as opposed to a K. Cunningham, but because they have their guard set. Whereas if you look at another team like shit, I need to say Spurs. They could use an Evan Mobley. They could really use anything, and it just comes down to what does your team need. So yeah, I don't I find some belief to it, but I do think that Kay Cunningham, like you said, is still number one. Uh speaking of guards though, apparently the Pelicans are unlikely to match restricted free agent Lonzo Ball's um any offer CT gets if they deem it too expensive. Previous reports indicated that New Orleans wouldn't go above 18 million a year in their offer to Lonzo Ball. So believable or buffoonery, the Pelicans should let Lonzo walk in free agency.
Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry, Coach. Keep going. I think I can understand why they wouldn't want to give him too too much money. So like, in I, I'm fifty fifty on it because on the one hand, I think that they could keep him and like help nurture his game and help him build as alongside uh, Zion Williamson. But I mean, of course, we have the option to get a Dame, which I don't think would happen just because I don't think that they're like that would make him a title contending team. I don't think it's gonna happen. But I do think that. Lon- there are way worse options you could have at point guard than Lonzo Ball. But I also can kind of see the belief to it if they don't want to commit too much money to him, especially considering the money that they're going to have to pay Zion soon, the money they just gave Brandon Ingram that they already seem to be trying to potentially get rid of him. So I understand it in a way by not wanting to overpay him, but I think in terms of the player, I think that you could still use him. All right, next, final piece of believable or buffoonery. This is something that when I heard it, it really blew my mind. It actually came out of his mouth, mainly just because of his base. It is Shannon Sharp, who most of the time he's an entertaining guy, does not say a lot of shenanigans, but he fixed his mouth to say when he was given his top five all-time NBA players, he said Kobe Bryant isn't a top five player all-time. And his reasoning was, I don't know if we've ever had a guy ranked top five with only one MVP. So, I'm not even going to include the context of Kobe Bryant. But just in general, believable or buffoonery, a player cannot be considered top five with one MVP award. Most notably, 2006, 2007, when he lost it to Steve Nash, he only averaged 18.8 and 10 and a half, while Kobe led the league with 35.4, 5.3 boards, four and a half assists, not to mention that was his 81-point game season. But carry on, he definitely got robbed. 2006. I love Shannon Sharp. Like, he, he one of those people where, like, if I saw Shannon Sharp walk tomorrow, like, tell me in only one year of Kobe Bryant's career he was the best player in the league you can't tell me because you can't it's not real because by his logic you're looking at it like so MVPs are what makes the player so then under that assumption Moses Malone who has three MVPs would should he be considered a better player than Kobe and Shaq Bob Pettit has two MVPs so is he better than the Kobe's and the Shaq's and the other cats who only have one MVP and nobody ever would put them higher than Kobe. And so that's why I'm saying, like, even outside of Kobe Bryant, but the thing is, there are so many politics as to who wins MVP. It's not even just about really who's the most valuable player. Because if it was about that, then let's be honest, LeBron would win it way more. Jordan would win it almost every year. Kobe, Shaq, 
um, so many players would win it. Hell, Steph would probably have more than two, if we're being honest. But because of the politics behind it, it narrows the field. So I feel like if you're going to make an argument for Kobe or any player not being top five, then that should not be your argument. Winning one MVP should not be it because that's nothing to control. Because if anything, it's like, so you're just going to negate five rings, two finals MVPs, the success that they had, being a part of the most dynamic one-two punch in the NBA history, like, and I just feel like if you're if that's your argument, you gotta fix your stance because that's not a strong enough argument to me, regardless of if it is Kobe or whoever it is. Because then it's like, well, in what sport does that stop? Because is there wide receivers in football? None of them have won an MVP, so does that make them not one of the best? Can so you're saying Jerry Rice can't be considered one of the greatest football players ever? What about in baseball? Like it's just I feel like by that logic. It's just denouncing the talent that's there. Because if great players were only qualified by MVPs, then that would be a bit problematic. But that's just my opinion. Uh, but all right, let's talk to NBA Finals tonight. Game five, Suns versus Bucks. The series is returning to Phoenix, and I'm sure the Suns can't be happier about it. But who you got? This is tough. I mean, you have – it really just comes down to who's hungrier. The Bucks just got two games in. They're feeling themselves. They're feeling confident. And then you have the Suns who, even though the series is tied, they could feel like they have their backs up against the wall. They have, they have something to prove, which they do. So, it's tough. I'm going to go with the Suns, but I still – I wouldn't be shocked either way. This is probably one of the most how I wanna say this. Probably the most even evens finals that we've had in a long time. To where like last year everybody pretty much knew the Lakers are gonna win. The year before that, um hell, who won last the year before that? Wow, my brain farted. That wasn't the Raptors, was it? No, that wasn't the Raptors the year before. Who won it you two years ago? It, so it was it was Raptors and Warriors. Yeah. Dang, I thought that uh, Kawhi had been no. with the Clippers. Yeah, last year it was the Lakers and the Heat. Heat. And then the yeah, year before Heat that. Okay, yeah. so it was Raptors and yeah, and then people mainly mostly thought that the Warriors were gonna win, but that happened then. Warriors dominating. So like I said, this is the most even series that we've had in some time. So that's why it's really hard to predict. But I'm, I'm going to say Suns tonight. I think Chris Paul plays a big role. I think that he's able to get himself back into it. But I'm still I'm not going to lie. These last two two games have really helped me restore my knowledge in basketball. I was like, you know what? The Bucks really can win this series. So I'm still sticking with the Bucks winning it all. But I got Suns winning tonight. But all right, let's talk some WWE. All right. Let's talk some WWE and make my predictions for Money in the Bank 2021, the first pay-per-view since WrestleMania to take place in front of fans. 
Oh, thank God, because I was getting real sick of the Thunderdome. But all right, let's go ahead and get things kicked off with the kickoff uh, shows match. The SmackDown Tag Team Championship with the Mysterios defending their titles against the Usos. For me, this is an easy Usos here. I think the only question would really be at the WWE wants to put a belt on Jimmy after his recent arrest. Other than that, I think that this is a pretty easy, just give it to the Usos, call today, move on, God bless. I mean, let's be honest here. While the Mysterios, you're both, it's a great story. It's a great opportunity to say father and son become tag team champions. It's real beautiful. But realistically, they haven't really done much as champion. I think that the Usos are, in my opinion, the best tag team of a generation. I know, of course, a lot of people argue the New Day, but I just prefer the Usos. I think that they have better match quality, and I just enjoy them more. And I'm excited to see what they can do, especially with the bloodline continuing on SmackDown. So I got the Usos becoming the new SmackDown Tag Team Champions. Next up, the Raw Tag Team Championship, which honestly, I would think this should be on the pre-show as opposed to the SmackDown Tag Team titles. That's neither here nor there. We have AJ Styles and almost defending their titles against the Viking Raiders. Similar to the Mysterios, AJ Styles and almost really do not defend their tag titles or really have tag team matches to begin with. So honestly, I think they should put the titles on the Viking Raiders, who are my selection for this match. Mainly just because I feel like it's about time AJ Styles and almost break up. Just because the direction really isn't there. At first, it was cool, but now. Not really, just because they haven't done anything with it. Like, we know that Almost is a huge guy. AJ Styles is the phenomenal one, but they really haven't built on that to make them into a tag team that people should care about, and so that's why I don't. And so I'm picking the Viking Raiders. Next up, the women's money in the bank match. We have Tamina versus Natalya versus Liv Morgan versus Lena Vega versus Naomi versus Asuka versus Nikki Cross versus Alexa Bliss. Now... We all know how much I love me some Zelina Vega. When she came back, I was so excited. My heart skipped a beat. Zelina Vegas is my girl and will always be. But she's not the one that I most want to win this match. I want Naomi to win it. And I feel like while we know that Zelina Vega is a bad mofo, I think that Admittedly, in terms of wrestling, I mean, she's pretty unproven. I mean, most of her best moments were spent as a manager. And so because of that, I think that this will be a nice opportunity for her to really showcase. I think that this match gives her the chance to show that she's more than just a manager, that she can show that she's also a great wrestler. But also, it just really wouldn't make sense for her to win. Like, not that I wouldn't be happy for her if she did win, just because, I mean, she's great and I'm a fan. But realistically, it just wouldn't really make sense. Whereas with Naomi, it does make sense because she really hasn't done much. I mean, she and Lana were a tag team and then that broke up. And now she's just kind of floating around aimlessly, just randomly doing tag team stuff. And also, I guess this may just be me, you know, rooting for my fellow black woman. But, I mean, she's clearly going through a hard time. She deleted her Twitter after fans, quote-unquote, gave her crap about Jimmy's arrest. Like, it's her fault, which is so messed up. And I just, Naomi needs a win. She needs one, and I really hope she gets it. But realistically, I don't think she's the one that wins it. I think Liz Morgan wins it. In terms of the different storylines that's going on, and combine that with who really it would make the most sense, 
I I think Liv is really the only one. Tamina and Natalya, I don't really take them seriously as con- title contenders right now. I think that they're best suited as the tag champs. Selena, we just talked about her. Naomi is a possibility, maybe. Asuka just had a reign, but as we all know, when she's champion, they really don't know what to do with her. Nikki Cross is... Nikki, almost a superhero. Okay, whatever. And Alexa Bliss, I think that her situation with uh, dude, I'm not calling her dude drop. Piper Niven and um, her, <laughs> Eva Marie, I think that that's going to play a role in why she doesn't win it. And so with that being said, I think that Liv Morgan is hungry. Liv Morgan is somebody who for the past couple of years really could have been in the title picture, who could be in contention for the money in the bank briefcase but the reason she wasn't was bad booking or she was with the riot squad and it seemed like ruby was going to be the one who was getting the future either way i think that this is the perfect time to pull the trigger on Liv morgan if that is what you're going to do next up the men's money in the bank match we have drew mcintyre versus matt riddle versus ricochet versus john morrison versus kevin owens versus seth rollins versus shinsuke nakamura versus big e now you all know how I love me some Johnny Drip Drip. Not just because I have a crush on him, but also because he is so much fun to watch in the ring. And I think that since The Miz has gotten injured, this has been the perfect time for him to really showcase his ability. He's getting more booking on Raw. He's getting more opportunities. As same goes for Ricochet, who is somebody else who I really would love to see win this match. So if I had to pick between the two... I would actually go Ricochet over Johnny Drip Drip just because The Miz just has the money in the bank briefcase. I don't think they're going to give it to them both within the same year span, even though if they wanted to, that'd be pretty badass. But I think that I think I would most want to see Ricochet win just because for years, like we knew, we saw what he could do in NXT. He was electrifying. He was so much fun. Put on a great match after a great match. Got to the WWE. Looked like he was getting a little bit of push. And then it just stopped. And then for periods, we didn't even see him on Raw. We may have, If you watch main event, you may have seen him there, but that was really it. And I think that this will be the perfect opportunity to kind of re- reintroduce Ricochet to the masses and show just how great of a performer he is, especially with fans coming back, because he's definitely a fan favorite, or at least his in-ring ability and style is. But I don't think he's going to win. Like my women's money in the bank match, the person I want, I don't see them actually winning it. I have Seth Rollins, kind of like Liv Morgan, Morgan, I can't talk. I think that this is the thing that makes the most sense. Sure, you can make an argument for Big E, but I feel like Big E's time is, I don't want to say it's past, but I feel like if they were really going to pull the trigger on Big E, they would have done it a while ago. Whereas with Seth Rollins, I mean, he's somebody who no matter what, you can put him in the main event picture, and you know you're going to get a great match out of it. I mean... Heel Seth Rollins, now you want to talk about drip. I mean, the suits are immaculate. Him as a heel is very fun to watch. And just Seth Rollins is a very enjoyable figure right now. Not to mention he has something kind of brewing with Edge right now that makes things even more interesting. So you can kind of have in the air, well, what if Seth does win the money in the bank? What if Edge wins? Is he going to go cash in on Edge? Like little things like that that are really interesting um, that I'll get to with the Universal Championship when I give my uh, predictions and all that jazz for that match. But, yeah, I got Seth Rollins winning it. Um, like I said, I just think it makes the most sense. I mean, I could go down the why I'd go against everybody else. Another popular one possibly could be Drew McIntyre. Biggest reason I don't think Drew McIntyre wins is just because he just was in the title picture for over a year on Raw. 
and the rule is already stipulated between him and Bobby that he can't compete against Bobby. So if he goes to SmackDown, do you really want to see Roman and Drew? And Raw needs as much help as they can get. So I don't see that really happening for gender. I mean, Drew. And plus, I feel like Jinder Mahal is going to stop him from winning regardless. So that's that on that. All right, let's move on to championship matches for singles titles, starting with the Raw Women's Championship. We have Rhea Ripley defending her title against Charlotte. This is hard because you guys heard my thoughts and my frustrations after um, Hell in a Cell when I did not pick Charlotte, even though my better judgment told me to. But Rhea won. Does Rhea win again? I don't think so. Do I want Rhea to win? Yes, but do I think she do? Do I think she does? No. The reason being, the reports are already coming out that Becky Lynch is going to be at Money in the Bank, and I feel like Charlotte is going to win. And while Rhea Ripley is great and a great feud to continue on, what better way to have challenge her than have Becky Lynch come? Her nemesis, probably her greatest rival. Maybe Oscar is in that conversation too, but it's probably Becky Lynch if you the consensus. So if one it gets a huge pop from fans who obviously don't want Charlotte to be champion, minus me, I would love it. Um, but then I also like Rhea too, but you know what I mean. So I think that it'll be a perfect first few back for um for Becky because I mean she just was off for a year she had a baby you know she was living her life and who better to go up against than the best female in-ring performer of all time in my opinion I mean that's going to help you elevate your game that's really going to test your mantle and plus you get to be with your best friend who you know kayfabe exists luckily but we're like their best friend so I think it makes a lot of sense so I'm going uh Charlotte next up the WWE Championship Bobby Lashley defending his title against Kofi Kingston personally I think this should be a squash match. I think that Bobby Lashley should beat Kofi Kingston decisively, leave no doubt, have this new air of I don't care about the suits, the women, the bottles. I just want to dominate. And I think that by dominating Kofi Kingston, I think that that would really help further legitimize Bobby Lashley as champion. And for me, it would be an easy to decision to book it like that, even though I feel like they're going to make you know Kofi have a fighting chance. But realistically, I think... I think Bobby should squash him. All right, final match of the night, the Universal Championship. Uh, Roman Reigns defending his title against Edge. This is actually hard, mainly because while I think that Roman should stay champion for a lot, lot longer, I just, something about this match doesn't feel like an easy you know, it doesn't feel like an easy, oh, yeah, Roman's going to win. Like, I feel like Edge is going to give him a run for his money. And I think that it's going to really come down to, it's going to be many points where you're going to be like, or at least the most, the time since Roman's become champion, maybe minus WrestleMania, where you're like, okay, he might actually lose the belt. But I don't think he loses the belt. I have Roman retaining, and here's why. I feel like Seth, Seth Rollins wins the money in the bank, like I said, and he still has beef with Edge. Him and Edge are going at it. He feels like Edge should not be in that championship match, and maybe he has a point. Who knows? 
But he's saying all this jazz, and he could cost Edge. And his motive could be, well, I told you, you didn't deserve to be champion, and you're not going to be. And thus kicking off um, a few that can really go into SummerSlam, put together a tremendous match. I mean, Edge is seemingly in the best shape of his whole career. He looks like he's hungrier. He's ready to elevate his game to really step up and match the other wrestlers of today's era. Take note other part-timers. And yeah, so I think that's how you kind of set that up and you just have Roman retain and move on to whoever he faces at SummerSlam. Apparently, it may be John Cena. I mean, either way, I wouldn't have him drop the belt. But we'll see. But that is our show. Those are my predictions for Money in the Bank. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out TheXReport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours, truly, and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. But yeah, football fans, go read that article about each team's best offseason additions. Let me know what you agree with, disagree with. Who did I forget? Who did I remember? All that good stuff. Just let me know your thoughts. As well as on other articles that have been written, of course, fantasy football content is coming up, especially with the football season being less than two months away. So stay tuned. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.